Greetings, ladies and metalgents, and welcome to this latest rendition of Tales from Outer Space. Taken from the subreddit HFY, all the relevant links will be down below. And as always, I hope that you enjoy, and if you do, please consider supporting the channel. Now, on to the science fiction. I would like to give a quick thanks to our tier 5 channel members and patrons. Fallen Angel Buzz Killington Thank you, again. Now on to the story. They Can't Read, written by Belly Master. We are enraged. Vibon knelt prostrate. Allow me to atone, I beg. The figures before him were invisible. Space itself warped fitfully around their forms. Vevan was not worthy to see them, and so did not. Their wrath was punishment beyond measure to Vevan, who had only known their favor until now. Their voices riptled as one. Cleanse the hundred grouse. Flush out the secrets and mysteries by which the chosen hunters have been slain by sacrifices. Return the ceremony to glory, and you will be forgiven. Vevin retreated from the venerated forms and traveled to the hunting grounds, to the place where the chosen hunters pupated once blood had been spilt. It was unlike any other place in the galaxy. Mysteries manifested in the halls of reverential tradition, unseen to any save the Chosen. Many races had sought to discover its location and wrest its riches, but it was well hidden. Winding paths tied intricate knots amongst crystallized gases, great agates and jewels formed from elements that should never have known such forms. Places of light and dark. Open spaces and tight granaries, surfaces both rough and smooth. The hunting grounds were representative of all life would offer. Sacrifices captured from ships and colonies of the lesser, unworthy races were let loose amongst the grounds. Then the chosen hunters were released. Only through the hunt would their kind achieve their true forms and obtain control over the life and death, though tasked with overseeing the crucial aspect of society, Vevan had never before stepped within the grounds. Curiously, the walls and floors were less pristine than the holy writ described, with scratches and markings in strange patterns. Yet, it was not Vevan's place to question. Vevan had been given a role of both high honor and great blasphemy when the task would be fulfilled. For the venerated forms to put such weight on the task meant that the disaster was truly at hand. Followed and guarded by the death forms, Vevan traversed the hunting grounds until every sacrifice had been removed. The scratches and markings on the walls, floors, and even the ceilings ebbed and flowed in frequencies within the grounds, and the cycles it took for the task to be completed. Mysteries did indeed present themselves. Some of the sacrifices, Vevin knew not the name of their race, fought back, savagely, and bearing weapons. 
Strongholds within the sacred grounds had been erected. Primitive gardens, traces of pathetic society. The scratches and markings adorned these places the most. It led Vevan to believe at some point in the past the sacrifices had defied the true law of preservation and banded together, building themselves over many iterations of the ritual into a threat. Blessed by understanding, Vevan cleansed the hunting grounds of its blasphemous occupants and left that which the sacrifices had wrought alone. For Bevan dared not to do more than they wished by sacred forms. In the time the task was completed, Vevan and the death forms withdrew from the hunting grounds. It was finished. Vevan came before the sacred forms. It has been done. Speak to the mysteries by which the ritual had been broken. A number of sacrifices defied the true law of preservation and sought solace in community rather than self. What blasphemous race did such irreverence? Bevan knelt prostrate. I know not. They walked upon two feet and brought life from the hunting grounds with their bare hands. The sacred forms hissed, and their air about them boiled. Humans! I will pay for the loss of the chosen hunters. You are forgiven, Bevan. Your service has brought enlightenment. Your sacrifice calls for blessing. Was there aught else? Bevan thought of the scratches and markings upon the walls, patterns that adorned the floors and ceilings, but could find no import in them. No, we are pleased. Remove thyself and unleash all human sacrifices we possess onto the hunting grounds. That punishment may be mated. We shall send the new chosen hunters when it has been done. Bevan turned and set forth upon the new task. Truly, the sacred forms were wise. Gabriel stumbled along the dim, warped corridor, bare feet scraping at unseen surfaces as he was led along with the rest of the captives. The line was twenty long, old humans remaining from the scouting cruiser Drake's fortune. They'd been captive for months now. Joanne mumbled behind him, the sound drifting beneath the scuffed feet and panting breath. Where are they taking us? I don't know, but it's got to be better than the pits. I hope so, she fell silent for a moment. Do you think they're, um... A crack sounded, and the corridor was flooded with ethereal light. The captives were led inside, and a great room made of glass-like substrate, similar to obsidian that glowed with an amber light. Their restraints were removed, and their captors retreated back inside the corridors, closing the portal behind them. The quiet murmurs grew conversational. Gabriel was silent as he took in the room, multiple entrances and exits of varying sizes. This may be where they took Anastasia and the others a few weeks ago. I'd rather be here than the pits. But what's a... Oh, blood. All right. Hey, over here. Everyone gathered around Joanne, her finger pointed at the wall. There, scratched by some sharp instrument in the glass-like substance, were large words in universal basic. They can't read. End of story. Story number two. Like they used to. 
written by algae father anthracite. The human was wandering around the yard, poking his nose into little corners and out of the way nooks. Herself was used to humans poking around, but they never bought anything, so he didn't pay it any attention. That is, until the human came over and waved him down from the platform. Herself went over and inquired what he could do to help the creature. It seemed that there was an item the creature actually wanted to buy, half buried under a pile of motors and pulleys. Herself wasn't even sure what the thing was or where it had gotten it. He guided his overhead crane operator using hand signals and had the lump of oddly shaped scrap pulled out and loaded onto a trailer. He charged the human scrap weight for the thing, and after bidding the human good day, promptly forgot all about it. Jason was a specialist. In many ways, he dealt with vintage parts. He knew who had them, who needed them, and what it would take to get them. Most people would call him a broker, but Jason liked to say that he dealt in rare antiquities. After all, there were only three, maybe four sofans in the sector who worked in the same field. One day, Jason got a call from a potential customer who was looking for a whole list of parts. Jason could practically feel the credits falling into his lap. He began compiling a list of known sources, and later that rotation sent the quotes to the new client. He received confirmation almost immediately, along with the down payment. He started to gather the parts. Dwayne grabbed a box of parts from his pouch and hurried to his workshop. He had been slowly rebuilding a vintage machine since finding it in a dump last year. He had spent a small fortune sourcing parts and waiting for weeks and months for them to arrive, since their number was literally shipped from other star systems. This package should contain the last wiring harness and several one-inch precision ball bearings. Dwayne spent the better part of the next rest cycle installing the wiring harness and figuring out how to power the thing with modern power cells. He had to design a small voltage converter and a power regulator circuit but it was a relatively simple fix. He had already spent several weeks touching up the original parts and installing old controlling electronics. He had replaced most of the moving parts at this point and a hefty number of the non-moving ones. He held his breath and flipped the switch. There was a flashing light and buzzers going off everywhere. Dwayne smiled broadly. He began to run diagnostics and sort out any problems. Dwayne backed his trailer into the loading bay and felt a soft bump that meant that he was flush against the wall-mounted bumpers. He threw his car into park and jumped out. He climbed up on the dock and unlocked the loading bay door, rolling it halfway up. He saw one of his employees moving some boxes in the warehouse area and told them to call over a few guys to unload the new machine. He pulled the straps off carefully and pulled off the top. He was just finishing when three of his employees walked up. Between the four of them, they managed to wrestle the device onto the dock and then get in some furniture dollies. They then rolled it into the front part of the building where it was placed near the front doors. Dwayne grabbed some cleaner and soft rags and cleaned off all the fingerprints from the genuine silica glass. 
he couldn't believe his luck in finding an intact in the junkyard. He went over to the counter and grabbed a few special tokens and then walked back to the machine. He reached underneath the front edge and flipped the power strip. The 1990s era pinball machine powered up and the screens made from hundreds of individual LEDs lit up. Dwayne slotted a token into the coin box and pressed the one player button. The shiny ball bearing popped out and Dwayne popped the plunger in to shoot the ball up the ramp. He was so focused on the game that he didn't hear the other arcade machine come to life as the employees prepped to open. He didn't hear the doors open as families came in to play on old earth games. And he didn't notice until his last ball drained that there was a crowd of Xeno kids standing around watching him play. When he finished, a little Maresque asked if he could play, and Dwayne showed all the kids how to put down tokens so that they could claim a spot to play. In a little over two months, the device had paid for itself, and was starting to earn Dwayne a nice little profit. Most of the Xenos were terrible at the game, but were fascinated by it and kept trying to figure out how to place shots where they wanted them to go. When Dwayne would come up and give them demonstration of his skills, all the kids in the crowd around would watch, and he would stall the ball on the flippers, or pop the filter button and just, at the right time, get a skill shot. Once, when he got a multi-ball play, the entire crowd cheered, as he kept the balls from draining out for almost five minutes. It wasn't long before he got a new modern machine, but it was never as popular as the vintage one, because it was just screens and physics engines. It was basically a video game. It didn't feel the same. Dwayne watched as the kids pumped credit after credit into the old device, and thought, just don't make them like they used to. End of story. And that, my friends, concludes this video. I hope that you enjoyed, and if you do, please consider supporting the author, even by popping over and leaving a thumbs up or a nice comment just to show your appreciation for the story. However, if you wish to support this channel, there are links down below which will help immensely. I will see you all in the next one, and until then, I hope that you have a fantastic day. Cheers.